0: Welcome to Divine Truth Podcast with Dr. Stephen M. Huffman. Michael is the senior pastor with Emmanuel Baptist Church in beautiful Central Virginia. The purpose of this podcast is to teach and edify God's people through a verse-by-verse exposition of God's Word. To learn more about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. And now, here's Pastor Michael Huffman. For three
1: tonight... Uh, Ruth, the third chapter, and I want to, I we want to look at some, continue to look at some principles that we began to look at uh, last Wednesday together on when Ruth is going to get herself a husband. Uh, she and Boaz, of course, met. They met when she went down to his barley field and began to glean in his barley field. And You guys remember the law that God laid out there in Leviticus 25, the law of gleaning. Uh, that, the, that the, the crop owner was only allowed to harvest, but so close to the end of the harvest and the rest was left to the sojourner and the, and the, and the orphan and the needy. And then if they had gathered all these bundles of, of grain and barley together, whatever they dropped, they could not go and uh, pick back up again because that, the law, God said, that too is for the orphans, the sojourner, and those that are in need. And so that's where Ruth met Boaz. You guys remember that story. Well, Ruth goes back home to where Naomi is, and Naomi says at the beginning of chapter 3 and verse 1, young lady, sit down, we've got to have a talk. And basically, we see a shift in Naomi's attitude, don't we? When Naomi first came back to Bethlehem, her name, she said, don't call me Naomi, chapter 1, verse 20, which means pleasant, but call me what? Mara, which means Bitter. And Naomi not only changed her in her own mind, of course, changed her name to Bitter, but she blamed God for her state in life. In fact, Naomi said that God's hand is heavy on me. It's God's fault. I am where I am because it's God's fault. Now, folks, let me ask you a question. When we go through trials in our life, is it God's fault? When we go through trials in life, when we go through bad times in life, is it God's fault? It's part of His plan. And if you want to say that's God's fault, well, His shoulders can handle it. But you're the one that's not going to be blessed, right? And you're the one that's going to have to prolong the trial. If if we constantly live in a state of, instead of saying this is God's fault, we need to be saying, God... What do you want me to learn from this? And that's hard. That's, a hard. that's a hard place to come in your life where you can be as James says in James chapter 1 and count all of your trials as something that's joyous to get to that place in your life to say this, hey, I'm excited about this trial. I'm, Listen, let's be real. Who in here can say I'm excited about having cancer? I'm excited about having whatever, I'm excited about this loved one in my life has passed from this life to the the next. No, we usually don't say that, do we? You know why? Because we look at things from our perspective instead of the perspective of God. And that's natural, but that's also part of our humanness. When Ray Smith went home to be with the Lord, that was the last grandfather I had, and I know I'm stepping on some toes there uh, with his real grandchildren. Uh, And I didn't get their permission to put myself in that position, but it's on film now. I can't take it back. And that's why I didn't ask. But, But when Ray Smith went home to be with the Lord, that's the last grandfather I had. And so, but I missed him for selfish reasons. For selfish reasons. Because, folks, listen, it's a matter of focus, isn't it? It's a matter of focus. And Naomi's problem was her focus. But as we come to chapter three, we see a little shift in her attitude. And, and maybe it was because of the kindness that Ruth had shown toward her all these years. But we see, some, we see a change in her attitude. She says, Young ladies, sit down. You and I can have a talk. And I don't know. We don't know all of what the conversation went, but I've, I've listened to enough of, uh, of grandma's conversations with their granddaughters to know. That it probably went to something a little like this Young lady, I'm not going to be around forever. And I want to make sure that before I go on to my eternal reward, as the old folks say sometimes, I need to make sure that you're taken care of. Now, here's what I want you to do I want you to get up and take a bath. That's what she says in verse three, right? I want you to get up and I want you to take a bath. And we saw some things in our life that, as Naomi tells Ruth to wash herself to get ready to to go get a husband, we saw that as Naomi told Ruth to cleanse herself, we looked at the fact that that applies to us as well, and that we need daily cleansing, don't we? Now folks, I want you to understand, and I'll mention this again later, I want you to understand that when I make these applications to your life, that is not the interpretation of the scripture. Okay, when Naomi says, wash thyself, the interpretation of that scripture is this, Ruth, take a bath. Four years of Bible college and seminary, and I figured all that out. The direct interpretation of wash yourself is, you smell, wash yourself. That's the interpretation. And that's the only interpretation. And we don't spiritualize the interpretation. We don't allegorize the interpretation here. The meaning of the scripture is the scripture. If you don't have the scripture right, you don't have the if you don't have the meaning right, you don't have the scripture. The interpretation of the scripture is Ruth take a bath. But the application can come over into our lives as believers that we need that daily cleansing we need that daily forgiveness and we talked about that last week and it's on uh, YouTube and, the, and you can go back and look at that it's on Spotify and I'm always plugging on I Wichita you can go back and you can listen to all that uh, last week but Naomi gives Ruth a uh, reminds her and gives her another principle and she tells this in verse 3 again because we're looking at the preparation Verses one through five is the preparation. Naomi is trying to get Ruth to prepare herself to meet Boaz. And in verse three, the second piece of advice is, "And anoint thee." Okay, Ruth, here's a young lady. I'm not gonna be around forever. I want to make sure you're taken care of. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, when I'm done talking to you, I want you to get up. I want you to take a bath, and I want you to go to uh, to my bathroom, and I want you to get some of that channel number five, and I want you to spray some of it on you. I want you to smell pretty. Eastern people during this time and later on, and they would use fragrant oils for a couple of different reasons. They would use fragrant oils to, to heal uh, things in their body that were ailments, and they also used fragrant oils to make themselves more pleasant. They didn't have Old Spice in 600 B.C. They didn't have Caress. They didn't have Irish Spring or whatever your choice, your soap of choice. So they had to use fragrant oils, and the, a bride to be would take especial care to be "quote unquote" nice to be near. In Song of Solomon, verse chapter one, verse three, because of the savor or the smell of thy good ointments. Thy name is as an ointment poured forth, therefore do the virgins love thee. Why? Because you smell pretty. You smell pretty. In Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 12, while the king sitteth at his table, my spikenard or my fragrant oil sendeth forth a smell thereof. And one of the things that Solomon praised his wives for, and unfortunately I got to use that in the plural, one of the things that Solomon praised his wives for is the fact that they were pleasant to the smell. Ladies, it's always nice for you to wear perfume, isn't it? I told the girls in the academy today, uh, Bonnie, that women wearing perfume is absolutely biblical. Absolutely biblical. It's also biblical, I think. It's probably a good idea for you boys to put on some, as my grandpa used to call, stink pretty. And and smell a little, and get a little pleasant to the nasal passages. A little. You know, when you put on cologne, guys, little is much when Ralph Lauren is in it okay, and uh, it doesn't take a whole lot, it just takes a couple of squirts, I, I, I had a, I'm glad Mrs. Glass brought that up, because that's a very important designation to make, because as we're going to look in the narrative, Ruth had to sneak up on Boaz, and let me tell you one thing, if she had put on the half of that bottle of our channel number five, she wouldn't have been able to sneak up on him at all. I know what it's called, I know why it's pronounced, Logan, okay. Yeah. But I had, a, I, I, had a, I had a roommate in college my second year, and his name was Chad. My wife remembers Chad. And when he came back from Christmas break, he had gotten a bottle of Polo for Christmas. And if you guys have ever been around me at any particular time, you know that Polo is strong. Right now I'm wearing Obsession, and I'm about to make my eyelids water up here because I sprayed a little bit too much on myself before I... Came upstairs tonight. But um, he would stand at his bureau there before we went to class and he'd take that ball of polo. And with polo, you only need a squirt, squirt, a little dab, of do you? Okay? But this dude would take that bottle and he would start squirting here and he would go all the way around his body. And he was a walking, flammable uh, fellow there for quite a few hours. And he made every plant die and every girl run. It, it had the opposite effect of what he wanted. But I can tell you one thing right now, young ladies. That was not, yeah, that's true. That, he, he hoped that that was going to help him, but it didn't actually end up doing it. But young ladies, i tell you one thing right now. One of the things that Naomi told Ruth, where Naomi, if you want to get yourself a husband, what do you got to do? Fix yourself up. Get yourself washed and get yourself smelling good. Now, we're blessed at the Baptist Church because we've got some nice looking ladies at this church. I've I preached in some churches, Bonnie, where I've looked up from the pulpit, and I'm like, wow. But we're blessed here. We've got some good-looking, strong men, and we've got some nice ladies. And um, anyway, I'm not, not going to go. I'm not going go any further off that. Y'all are getting me off the text. But she, but Ruth told Naomi, told Ruth, anoint yourself. Put on some perfume. Make yourself pleasant to be around. Now, you can attract the wrong type of dude with with that stuff. But if you're looking in the right place, you can attract the right kind of guy. I had a young lady come to me some years ago. They said, Pastor, where am I ever going to find a husband? I said, why don't you start a church? Well, pastor, there's no single guys here. Well, I think God knows that. I think God knows that. And I said, besides all that, you're only 16. You've got, you got a little time for God to do his work. There, but there's also a parallel. As we think about what Naomi told Ruth about putting on oil, anointing oil, there's also a parallel in the New Testament. Because the New Testament talks about the believer in Christ being anointed as well doesn't, doesn't it? We're not anointed by perfume. We're anointed by what? Holy Spirit. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20, "But ye have an unction or you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things." And then down in verse 27 of the same chapter, but the anointing which you have received of Him abideth in you. And while, folks, we have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, you know what that means? You and I as believers, we've been anointed by the Holy Spirit, and we become, the Bible says, the fragrance of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul says, For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Folks, it's not a matter of whether you smell or not to the world from a spiritual standpoint, because you will give off an odor. It just depends on what kind of odor you're going to put off. We are a fragrance of Christ. What the world thinks of God is what they think of you. The relationship that you have with them is the relationship that they think of God. Because we have been anointed by the Spirit. We've been given an unction. And therefore we are the fragrance of Christ. And we can give off a stench, can't we? If we don't follow the biblical principles, if we don't follow the things that the Word of God clearly says, you and I can give off a stench. But Paul says in Paul's prayer, Paul's hope for the church at Corinth and for every church is that we be a sweet savor to Christ. I want to be one of those people, and I know you too as well, I want to be one of those people that when I walk by, people say of me man he smells pretty and I mean that from a spiritual standpoint because we radiate Jesus Christ John MacArthur said this wherever God's servant is faithful and is an influence for the gospel God is pleased that's when you and I become a sweet fragrance for Christ. It is, when we beca- it is when, because we have been anointed by the Spirit, then we give off the sweet smell. We give off the sweet savor. Just as Ruth was, just as Naomi was telling Ruth, put on this perfume, anoint yourself so that you can put off a, a sweet smell. Christian, as we've been anointed by the Spirit, we put off that sweet smell we put off that sweet fragrance for Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absence, we may be accepted of Him. The more that we are like Jesus Christ in character and conduct, listen, the more we are like Jesus Christ in character and conduct, the more we please our Father. And the more we please Him, The more he can bless and use us for his glory. A.W. Tozer once said If God were to take the Holy Spirit out of this world, much of what the church is doing would would go right on and nobody would know the difference. Why is that? Why do you think it is, folks, that Tozer would say that if God removed his spirit out of the world, that the church would go right on doing what it always does and the the world would not know any difference? Why? why, What makes you think Tozer would say that? This was back in the 60s. He died in, what, blue 63? So this was back in the late 50s, early 60s. And so he looked at the state of the church and what would make him make such a statement? Because we're living in a time folks and it was back then and it's even worse now where the church is so much like the world that if God would remove his spirit and the church did exactly what it's doing right now the church wouldn't see any different. Because the church today is so worldly. I mean take a look at at churches around the world. John MacArthur said this and I'll have a slide for this one. But John MacArthur said this, and this is not verbatim, I'm bringing it off the top of my head. You want to see whether your church is worldly or not? Turn on the lights. Put in real light bulbs. White light bulbs. Have a man stand in front and open the Bible and preach from God's Word and see if that sells. If it doesn't, then your church is worldly. And that's the state of evangelicalism today, isn't it? You got a bunch of people sitting in churches that say they're anointed by the Spirit, say they're saved, but they're putting off a stench because their worship is so worldly. And if God would remove His Spirit, the church would go right on doing the same old things that they've always done, and the world would not see any difference. One of the problems with Christianity today I believe is that we have so many resources at our disposal to quote unquote serve the Lord that we attempt to do so without the the application of the anointing of the Spirit. You know you can go online Brother Blue and you as a pastor you can go online and you can download a sermon. You can get get on the mailing list, and they'll send you via email, they'll send you this week's sermon. And you get up, and you preach it. Pardon Pardon me if I don't join. That man isn't worth a dime in his job as pastor. Because he's taken the resources, and he calls himself serving the Lord. But he's preaching an unanointed message through an unanointed vessel because he's lazy. We need to keep in mind, folks, that we can't accomplish anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you may be able to get up and you may be able to sing. You may, have nat- you may have the natural ability to sing. And there are people that just have the natural ability to communicate publicly. And they, and they may stand up and they may communicate beautifully publicly. But unless it's anointed by the Spirit, it is absolutely powerless. Powerless. Naomi says, Ruth, anoint yourself. Church, get the anointing of the Spirit. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being, I'm talking about salvation. I'm talking about repentance. I'm talking about submission to the commandments of God. I'm talking about living by the standards of the truth of God's Word. That's what we're talking about. Remember when Christ entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, He was asked to read from the scroll, and he read from the prophet Isaiah. And in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 21, And he began to say unto them, This day, he made a proclamation, after he read, that he made this proclamation that absolutely angered the people. This day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He was reading from Isaiah chapter 61. And what he read began back in verse 17 of Luke 4. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. But notice what Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Listen, church, if the spotless Son of God in his humanity needed the Spirit's power, how much more do we need the Spirit's power? You can accomplish nothing in your Christian life without the Spirit's power. You know, even, even down to your praying, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 26, likewise a spirit. Also help with our infirmities. Why? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. You ever, you ever been there in your life? You just don't know. You're so broken hearted or you're so burdened or whatever. You just don't know what to say. You know, you, you, you feel like that you've relinquished every word that you could ever pray for this person or this individual. And you just don't know what to say anymore. You need the spirit. Because Paul says the spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Boy, I'm so glad that when I come to the throne of grace, when I can't verbalize the heartbreak that I have or the, or the struggle I'm having or whatever is going on, when I don't have the ability to verbalize what I can, what I, how I feel and the only thing I can do is grunt, boy, I'm sure I'm glad that I have a Holy Spirit that can tell the Father exactly the way I feel. And that's what Paul says means in Romans 8.26. That we need that spirit. You know, we live in a day as, as Baptists, particularly, unfortunately, that we're afraid of the Holy Spirit. We're afraid of the Holy Spirit. You know, you'd be sitting in church. Okay, let's be real. Let's be real. He say, well, I'm not afraid of the Holy Spirit. Well, neither am I. I'm talking about it, generalities. you be in church right now. You and Kevin are sitting back there and y'all are singing to the top of your lungs. You got this person up here on the front row. He's singing to the top of his lungs. And while Ray Nell is singing, she does something that's unthinkable in the Baptist church. Huh? No, she didn't. I'd like to see that, but no, it's not what I'm talking about. Thankfully, it's not thankfully it's not unheard of here, but it's unheard of in a lot of Baptist churches. You raise your hand and worship to the Lord, and you'll have people behind you say, we, "I thought this church said Baptist. What's wrong with that fella? You sure we, we sure we you sure we ain't gotten ourselves in a Pentecostal thing?" We need the Spirit, don't we? We don't need to be afraid of the Spirit. The Spirit is what anoints you. And let me tell you something right now. If you're in here and, you, and we're in the middle of worship, and you feel the need to, you feel, the, you feel led of the Holy Spirit to raise your hand in praise and worship, then you go, uh, you help yourself. Don't you let anybody hold you back. Don't you be shy. Don't you be shy? Don't you be afraid. That's biblical. The Bible talks about lifting holy hands to God. Now, if you've got sin in your life, you better keep your hands in your pockets. But if you're, your heart is clean before the Lord and you're in worship and you feel led to raise your hand, you help yourself. You keep it in English, but you help yourself. Because we, you and I need the Spirit. Just like Ruth needed to anoint herself, you and I need to be anointed. You and I need to be anointed. And don't be afraid of the Spirit, because we need the Spirit's moving in our life. Because the Spirit of God is the, is the instrument whereby He's... Listen, unfortunately among a lot of Christians, the Holy Spirit is a forgotten member of the Trinity. We focus on the Father, and we focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, but we somehow we forget the fact that there is a third member of the triune Godhead that is co-equal and co-eternal with the other two members. And we somehow we forget that it, listen folks, that it is that Holy Spirit that we have forgotten that convicted us and drew us to the Father so that we could be saved. We seem to forget that that is that Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. We seem to forget that it is that Holy Spirit that confirms in our hearts that we belong to God. We seem to forget that it is that Holy Spirit that teaches us all things. Listen, we seem to forget the fact that when we when we learn the word of God, that it is the Spirit that has taught us the Word of God. When we're having a conversation with someone about the things of God, and a verse comes back in our mind that we hadn't read in months and we haven't thought about, but as we're talking about this subject, that verse or that phrase comes back into our minds, we seem to forget that it is the Holy Spirit that brought that back into our mind. The Bible talks about He brings all things to your remembrances. That's the Spirit. He is co-eternal. He is co-equal with the Father and Son. And He does not need to be forgotten. He needs to be celebrated among Christians. and We don't need to allow ourselves just because there are some believers, and I do believe that there are many Pentecostals that are believers, we don't need to let those believers that have been taught wrong about the Spirit hinder us in the biblical worship of the spirit because he's just as much god as the father and the son are god and you are saved today because of the holy spirit because he drew you in faith he brought the conviction upon your life and so the holy spirit is important and so we need to ask the lord for the anointing of the spirit that we would be led by the Spirit. And it's not only in our prayers, but folks, listen, it's also in our witnessing, isn't it? Jesus was very clear in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, And but ye shall receive power after that who? The Holy Ghost has come upon you. Then you'll be witnesses unto me. But then I want you to notice the third act that Naomi tells Ruth. Wash yourself, verse 3, anoint yourself, and put thy raiment upon thee. Ruth, honey, you need to take off those garments of sorrow. You need to take off those widow garments, and you need to dress for a wedding. In scripture, clothing carries a spiritual meaning as well. After Adam and Eve had sinned against God, Adam and Eve, what was the first thing Adam and Eve did? Made themselves some clothes to try to cover their nakedness, try to cover their shame. But only the Lord could forgive them and clothe them acceptably. Listen, folks. The fact that Adam and Eve, listen, the fact that Adam and Eve made themselves some clothes and put some clothes on, that wasn't the problem. The Bible says that after they sinned, they knew they were naked and they were ashamed, and the first thing they tried to do was that they tried to cover up their nakedness. They tried to cover up their shame. They tried to cover up the results of their sin. But the problem is, how did they make those clothing? They made those clothing out of fig leaves, which is reminiscent of, they made the clothing to cover up their sin by their what? Their own efforts, by their works. That is what's unacceptable. And that's why we preach so hard from this pulpit that the moment you try to add works to one ounce of grace, you have destroyed grace. In fact, Paul felt so strongly about it in Galatians chapter 1. He says that if anybody comes to you, and if they preach another gospel than what we have preached, let them be cursed, let them be damned, let them be anathema. And he says that twice in the span of just two verses because you cannot add one measure of grace or one measure of works to grace. God came along. And what was Adam and Eve doing? Hiding behind a weeping willow tree. You know, the interesting thing about the Garden of Eden, that from the very beginning of redemptive history, God was the seeker. And man was the runner. From the very beginning. God seeking the sinner is not something that happened in the New Testament. God seeking the sinner was back in the Garden of Eden. When the Bible says in Genesis 3 that God came down in the cool of the day in the Garden, and He said, Adam, where are you? And as God did not say, just like every other question God adds, asks like that, God is not asking to receive information. He's asking to give information. Adam, I know where you are. I want you to realize where you are. I know you're hiding from me. I want you to realize you're hiding from me. I'll never forget that night in September of 1985, God, the Holy Spirit, came down, Brother Blue, in a little church in Scottsville, Scottsville, Virginia, at Calvary Baptist Church, and he says, Michael Huffman, where are you? Where are you? And by God's grace, I said, I'm right here. And he saved me. He drew me by his spirit. And then what did he do? He did the same thing for me he did for Adam and Eve. And just like Naomi told Ruth, Ruth, you need to put some more clothes on, sweetheart. That, that's, that, that, that old rag's not going to do. You need to put on a wedding dress. You need to take off that garment of sorrow. You need to take off those widow clothes. and You need to put on a, a garment of celebration. We're going to a wedding. Just like she, just like, and just like Naomi was telling Ruth, it's the same thing God did for Adam and Eve. Yes, God clothed Adam and Eve. He clothed their nakedness, but he only clothed them by the shedding of blood. Because he covered them with what? He covered them with animal skins, not with fig leaves, not with plants, things that are by man's own effort, but with animal skins. And guess what, folks? It doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that if God clothed him with animal skins, that, that animal first had to what? Die. And for the very first moment of redemptive history, God shed blood to save and to clothe the sinner that he sought to save. Boy, isn't grace amazing? And salvation, folks, is a picture of a change of clothes. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 15 and verse 22. When the prodigal comes back, but the father said to the servant, and of course if you've listened to our messages before on the prodigal son, you know that the father is a picture of God and the, and the son is a picture of the sinner. And this sinner comes because he's drawn by the kindness of the father and he comes back and what's the first thing that the father does? Take those clothes off. Put on the best robe. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Because, folks, listen, the Christian life is about stripping away these old grave clothes. And it's about putting new clothes on. And it needs to be shouted from every pulpit in evangelical churches in America and in the world that Christianity means a change of clothes. If someone says they're a Christian, but they are still wearing the old grave clothes, I don't care what they experienced, it was not the new birth. Because just like Ruth, Naomi told Ruth, Ruth, you need to put some new clothes on, honey. God says, if I save you, I'm going to clothe you again. I'm going to give you some new clothes. What was the first thing Jesus said when, when He raised Lazarus from the dead? There in John chapter 11, verse 44, He says... Um, Loose him. Let him go. What's that mean? Take those stinking grave clothes off of him. He's not dead anymore. Christianity is about getting a new set of clothes. I'm reminded of in Zechariah chapter 3, Joshua the high priest stood before the Lord. And the text says there in chapter 3 of Zechariah that he stood before the Lord and he had his clothes, his clothes, his garment was was covered with sin it's filthy it says and God looks down to Joshua and what does he say he says take away those clothes and give him new clothes clean and white no one ever comes into the presence of God in their own righteousness we can only come into the presence of God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ alone. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse 21, "For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. Ruth, put on some new clothes. And a New Testament spiritual parallel is this. If you're going to meet the bridegroom, you need to have on the wedding clothes. You're not going to be able to meet the bridegroom because Ruth was going to meet the bridegroom. He didn't know it yet. He didn't know it yet, but Boaz was about ready to become the bridegroom. Naomi knew it. So Ruth, you need to put some wedding clothes on because you're about to go meet the bridegroom. And Christian, to meet the bridegroom, we got to have on the wedding clothes. we got to have on the holy garments of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's why, folks, a mere profession of faith in Jesus Christ means nothing without the wedding clothes. I love, I don't have time to get into it tonight, I know y'all are saddened by that information, but I love what happens in the next part of the story. When Ruth goes into Boaz and she says, marry me. Boy, that's kind of upfront, isn't it? Well, you need to understand, Boaz was about 30 years Ruth's senior. 30 years. He was his entire, it's believed that he was an entire generation, which was between 20 and 30 years, that he was an entire generation older than Ruth. And so most people in Bethlehem would be giving Boaz the same look that Faith has given me right now had he asked her to marry her, him. So the proper thing to do was for Boaz to not marry, ask Ruth to marry him, but for her to ask him to marry her. Now, guys, I know you guys that are unmarried, you are longing for the day that that girl is going to chase you down and say, marry me, fella. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. It ain't going to (laughs) happen. It's just not. But what do we learn from this? We have an anointing. And that anointing is the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to do anything for Jesus Christ, anything that lasts, it's going to be as we do through the power of the Spirit. You know, when I get up to preach every Lord's Day, y'all may see me down there sometimes and y'all see my lips moving, but nothing's coming out. No, I'm not crazy. Well, I am. But I'm not that crazy, I'm not straitjacket crazy. Most of the time what I'm doing is, and I, I usually am saying these words, and I'm saying something like, Lord, may I, just get me out of the way. I don't want these folks to hear or see from me because I have nothing to tell them. Anything that needs to be said is going to have to be said from you. But I have gotten up in this pulpit by the power of my own strength, and it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. And you have as well. You've tried to do the Christian life in your own power, haven't you? We've all done it. We've all done it. You say, well, how do you know that you've done it? Did you start today without prayer? If you started today without prayer, then you tried to do life today without the power of the Spirit. That's your first sign. If you started today without prayer, you'd start today in your own strength and your own power. And I bet you that you weren't 10 minutes into this day and you started to nosedive. We need the Holy Spirit. But also, not only do do I want you to, Ruth, put on some nice fragrance, but put on the new clothes. Christians are are brand new. Christians are brand new. You You can't help but to be different. You can't help but to be different if you're a child of God. Yeah, you're going to have moments of the flesh. Yeah, you're going to have moments when, when the flesh gets the best of you. That happens, that happens to us all, doesn't it? But by and large, you can't help but to be different. You can't help but to have those fresh, clean clothes shine. And praise God for it. Praise God for it. Well, we need to stop. Ruth basically says, you know, Naomi tells her in verse 4, okay, I want you to go down and I want, you to, I want you to lay at his feet. And I want you to uncover his feet. Well, that's kind of weird. Well, for us, yeah, it is. I mean, she's going to go to a man while he's laying down asleep and she's going to uncover his feet and then lay at his feet. I can't even get my wife to massage mine, much less lay at them. But that was a custom. That was a custom. And we'll get to that next, next week. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff.
0: Thank you for listening to Divine Truth Podcast. We pray that the exposition of the Word of God was a spiritual blessing to you. Again, for more information about Emmanuel Baptist Church, please visit www.ebcmineral.com. You can also find us on Facebook at EBC Mineral. Our Lord's Day services are 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. Sunday morning and 6.30 Sunday evening. We also have a Wednesday evening service at 6.30. We here at Emmanuel Baptist Church pray that God's divine truth would be proclaimed always from the cross, through the church, and to the world until Christ's come. And now from all of us here at Emmanuel Baptist Church and divine truth, thank you so much for listening, and please stay tuned for further episodes. God bless you.